This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including eBooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hi, listeners, and welcome to the New Books Network's special series, New Books and Celebration Studies. My name is Emily Allen, and I'm the host for this episode. Our guests for today are Naomi Late, Quetzil Castaneda, and Kathleen Adams, editors of the book, The Ethnography of Tourism, Edward Bruner and Beyond, published by Lexington Books in 2019. Focusing on the experience near interpretive humanistic approach to tourism studies widely associated with anthropologist Edward Bruner, the contributors to the ethnography of tourism draw on their fieldwork to illustrate and build upon key concepts in tourism ethnography from experience, encounter, and emergent culture to authenticity, narrative, contested sites, the border zone, embodiment, identity, and mobility. Our guests today include lead editor for the project, Naomi Late, Associate Professor of Anthropology at SOAS University of London. Our other two guests are also editors of the book, including Dr. Ketsio Castaneda, Senior Lecturer at Indiana University Bloomington and Founding Director of the Open School of Ethnography and Anthropology, and Dr. Kathleen Adams, Professor of Anthropology at Loyola University Chicago. So welcome, all three of you, to New Books and Celebration Studies. Yeah. Glad to have y'all. Um, Thanks for having us. Yeah. Pleasure to be here with you. Glad to have y'all. Um, so before we get into the book, can each of you tell us a little bit more about yourselves and your scholarly work? So let's maybe go in the order of Naomi, Katsil, and then Kathleen. Sure. And um, so this is Naomi Lake. Um, I am a cultural, cultural and psychological anthropologist. Um, I don't necessarily describe myself first and foremost as an anthropologist of tourism um, for reasons that may become clear as we talk about Brunner's work as well. Um, and, and as a whole, my work is really focused on identity, experience, belonging, exclusion, cross-cultural encounters, interpersonal communication and miscommunication, and especially how people come to feel connected to other places and to other people and what kind of action that provokes on their part. So what are the practical real world outcomes of the ways that people imagine um, other people in places when they actually come face to face with them? So for clear reasons, most of my work to date has been using international tourism as a venue for exploring these issues, the relationship between imagination and face-to-face encounter and real world action. 
And I came to the anthropology of tourism accidentally. I'd actually been very interested in museums in relation to identity and meaning and questions of representation and display. I had an undergraduate degree in history of art. And I stumbled into a graduate seminar in my first year of grad school with um, Nelson Grayburn, who I soon discovered is a founding figure in the anthropology of tourism. And his class was called Museums, Heritage and Identity. How would I have known from the name of the course that it was actually all about the anthropology of tourism? Um, and it was a phenomenal course and it completely changed the direction um, of my career because I came to realize that you could study pretty much anything through tourism including things like heritage and identity. Um, and so it became an intellectual home for me. Great. Katsu? Yes, hi. Um, well, I'm, uh, I'm an anthropologist. I've always considered myself an anthropologist. Uh, uh, the, the Maya, first and foremost. First and, foremost. Uh, and through that, uh, I've always been interested in how knowledge production about the Maya has been formed <clears throat> through the discipline of anthropology and archeology. span And so that has led me to all varieties of different kinds of uh, questions and, uh, and issues. So um, I've been very interested in the, at the intersection of, uh, of anthropology and tourism, how anthropological knowledges are feeding uh, uh, governmental policies and practices and uh, how it filters into the daily life of, of communities. And so, uh, uh, I, uh, I I've always been sort of interested in 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 all variety of things. Uh, as uh, Naomi mentioned, that tourism is an is an interdisciplinary field, and, and it can take you along a variety of different kinds of uh, tracks. And so, at various points, I've uh, considered the study of one tourism destination, Chichen Itza, as a museum, and what it means as a as a site for the production and and communication of discourses and of knowledge and the experiences there. Um, the production and development of the, of the tourism business, uh, businesses uh, from a historical perspective and uh, the way the governmental policies and the politics of community in relationship to nearby archeological tourism sites. Uh, I think my work was one of the initial ones that took on the question of uh, archeological tourism sites. And uh, and so uh, my interest has been as much about tourism as sort of dismantling some of the uh, colonial, neo-colonial and uh, thinking and projects with, that are embedded within anthropology. Very cool. And currently I'm working on a Maya book, but I guess that's the last question we're gonna talk about. Oh yeah, working hard. <laughs> um, and Kathleen? I am, like Naomi and Kitsil, a cultural anthropologist. I came to anthropology with a very strong interest in French art history, French studies as an undergraduate, uh, and anthropology as well. And then in graduate school, I wanted to pursue studies of identity politics and identity negotiation, something probably close to myself because I'm the product of um, Italian, French, and American heritage. And I... Um, I also wanted to study museums, and I was pursuing a museum studies master's degree at the same time as I was doing my PhD at University of Washington. And like Naomi, quite by accident, in my second year of graduate study, uh, I took a special pro-seminar uh, that faculty had organized at University of Washington, this is back in 1982, a long time ago, on tourism and ethnicity. And I suddenly realized in that really pioneering seminar, it was early on, 
um, that tourism was again, a field in which I could study everything I wanted to and look at dynamics of art, identity negotiation, um, art and meaning making, uh, and also the politics of, of nationalism, of ethnic minority status. Uh, and so for me, this became the perfect venue to explore um, all of these interests. And I've been teaching the anthropology of tourism first at Beloit College and then later at Loyola University of Chicago since 1988. Uh, so it was a relatively early class in the anthropology of tourism not as early as Nelson Rayburn, who was really the pioneer in that area. Uh, but for me, this field has allowed a lot of um, growth and development of new kinds of interests and questions from those earlier ones uh, to more recent ones having to do uh, with um, entrepreneurship, uh, even with gender issues uh, and um, with issues of social justice. So, uh, but we can talk about that later. Yeah, I'm very excited. I think opening with that helps in itself show how much you can do within this field, you know, of the ethnog or anthropology, excuse me, of tourism. So I'm excited to continue this conversation um, today. And I know I found the book really helpful for me too, um, in terms of working through some of my own stuff on tourism. Um, and speaking of the book, going on to that, uh, that we can direct this one to Naomi. Uh, what was it like to compile and edit the book, The Ethnography of Tourism? There are so many things I could say about that, but um, I'd like to answer, I think, by saying a little bit about how the book came to be um, and, and then go from there. And, and the first thing to say is that it, it emerged out of conversations between myself and Ketsio. Um, at the time, we were co-conveners of the Anthropology of Tourism Interest Group of the American Anthropological Association. It had just been launched. And um, we were planning, this was in 2013, we were planning um, a 40th anniversary celebration of the first uh, AAA conference panel on the anthropology of tourism, which had taken place in 1974 um, in Mexico City. And that became the book, Hosts and Guests, The Anthropology of Tourism, edited by Blaine Smith. And um, Ketzel had a, a vision for how we could do a series of retrospective panels that would be exploring how, where were we 40 years ago? Where are we today? And as we started to make the lineup for those panels together, um, he realized that there was a, a, a section of the history of the anthropology of tourism that was going to get completely left out, which was this, what he called the second wave, but it was this in the 1980s and early 1990s, the Ed Berner kind of moment. And we'll talk, talk a little later, I think, about Ed Berner and what his moment um, has been. But um, we decided then to do a separate panel. So we had a panel on uh, looking back at that 1974 session. We had a panel on where are we now? 40 years on, and then we put on this panel on, um, on Ed Bruner's contributions specifically. And that panel, um, from the very beginning, I really thought about it as a book project and um, brought with me a formal prospectus for the book to the conference so that I could get the representative of the publisher to come to the panel and hear it and then hand her the prospectus and say, see? And um, we had a contract five days later. So um, I, I recommend that as a strategy. <laughs> noted noted um but so this is this is sort of the genesis of it but i should say um and this is especially for any grad students out there um that my first encounter with ed Bruner had happened uh 
oh my goodness, uh, 12 years earlier, when um, as a grad student, I was at the AAA meetings and I found myself in the elevator next to an older man who, and we were standing alone and I did what you do. I looked at his name tag and I saw it was Ed Bruner and I gasped and he looked at me and smiled and sort of laughed. And I said, you're a legend, you're Ed Bruner. And the doors opened and I ran out um, and didn't see him again for years. And many years later, he told that story um, and said he never saw that person again. And when I saw that, I had to say to him, because we were now in touch regularly, I had to say, that was me. <laughs> in any case, um, so I, I, I tell that story to say both, this was very much an intellectual project. It was actually very much also a little bit of my grad student self with some fan worship, which is that for me coming into anthropology from the humanities, um, encountering a scholar like Ed Bruner, who is a very humanities oriented and very humanities friendly kind of scholar, um, it gave me a comfortable kind of transition into the language of anthropology as a, as a the more social science aspect of, of anthropology. Um, so that was that was really where this book started. Now, from the outset, we also planned to include more people than just the people who were on the panel. Um, that panel was an in honor of res retrospective kind of panel. And the the vision for the book was much more that it should be, um, a go-to text for anyone who was interested in studying tourism and understanding the history of the humanistic social scientific study of tourism. And so Ketzil and I lobbed ideas back and forth about what did we think were the most important ideas to ensure were it covered in the book. Um, for the panel, I had felt that it was really important that we have just a few of his key concepts in there and we expanded that list and then started identifying who we thought would be the right people to do it. So this book is special in that um, every essay in the book was written expressly for the book. This is not a compilation of existing work. And we worked very closely with the authors to have each one take one of Bruner's ideas or an idea that Bruner had worked with that had come from elsewhere as well. So we're looking at a long history of ideas here um, and then explore what Bruner had done or perhaps even the earlier history of the concept and then update it showing how their fieldwork expanded it. Um, so we really wanted the book to be a coherent whole, and both of us read each chapter, and at different points in the process, both of us interacted with the authors and had them edit parts of them. Um, now, that's a long process, and at times it was really difficult, and we each had various life crises during the years that this book was in process, and that is part of how Kathleen came in as um, someone who we really trusted is incredibly knowledgeable in this field, and there was a time when both of us could really use an additional um, editor, and she came in and was a phenomenal contributor to the process. And so it, looking back, I would say that this experience has actually been a really, a really wonderful one in that um, combining the intellectual and the fangirl, I have to say that I got some lifelong friends out of the process, both of whose work I had read as a grad student long before I met them, um, Ketzil and Kathleen. And, and I feel like I also have lifelong colleagues in them as well. And so it's been, a, it's been an extraordinary experience in that sense. Wonderful. I'm glad that it sounds like it was quite a journey and like a really rewarding way, which is really neat to see and hear about um, the behind the scenes aspects of that in that way. 
Um, and then also thinking about the book as a whole, and we can direct this one to Katsil, you know, what does this edited volume add to the existing literature on the ethnography of tourism? Sorry, I wasn't uh, queued up. Uh, <clears throat> I think uh, Kathleen and Naomi will also be able to add their ideas on what I, I'm leaving out in my comments. Um, but I think first and foremost, the book is conceived of as, uh, as something for students who are emerging right now. Um, it provides a historical purview of the fields since, you know, in the 90s, because of these articles are uh, focused on uh, special concepts. And in some sense, they, uh, some a little bit more, some a little bit less, review different kind the history in a very, not in a in a totalizing comprehensive, like this is the history of the field kind of perspective, but they do uh, point out uh, crucial ideas and uh, history of ideas kinds of things and what's important in order to develop an uh, end of uh, analysis in the ethnography of tourism today. And so in that sense, it uh, provides students with, uh, with, a, with a historical framework, especially the introduction uh, does that as well. It feeds that, uh, consolidates that background. Um, it's uh, one of you know the other day, two weeks ago. I'm a, I'm an editor for an anthropology journal, the Journal for Latin American and Caribbean Anthropology, and I had to make a decision on one submission. And essentially, what happened is that the 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 author was uh, sort of reinventing uh, the kind of analysis that was from Bruner's uh, Salem books, uh, Salem articles. And so I think that uh, having a text like this, I mean, clearly there's Ed Bruner's 2006 book as well that, that does his, brings his work uh, to consolidate it and present it to, to, to scholars, to anthropologists. But to have this kind of a book statement there so that people can, can learn from it, because too often in anthropology, we are kind of short, short-sighted in our historical, looking back at the history of, of the study of of of, uh, of whatever field or topic it is or issue, and that's we're we're very truncated in that sense, and so it's very useful to have this kind of a, of a book that not only covers the back the uh, historical perspective, but tells us what what are the current <clears throat> excuse me what are the current ideas or current perspectives and approaches. Uh, so for you know twenty. 20 years, perhaps even longer, might, might even, I'm bad at math, maybe even 30 years. It seems like everybody has been, anybody who studied the tourism and took on the question of authenticity, they were reinventing the wheel. Um, and so uh, there's all, many concepts in this book that are discussed, uh, you know, each of the chapters that deal with something that in many senses has been a constant focus of, of tourism, of the anthropology of tourism uh, perspective, focus, focalization. And so we need to have some kind of, okay, let's, let's think about the past and let's develop new perspectives on the same uh, by building instead of uh, inventing the same, the same kinds of analysis. Um, I think that's a, a, an important thing. I think another aspect, perhaps uh, our, my two colleagues will uh, add more to this, but I think if one of the things that we had in mind from the very beginning was that the international and interdisciplinary field of tourism scholarship, uh, the Eurocentric, uh, Britain, Britain, 
faith-based focused uh, of, uh, of tourism scholarship pretty much ignores the anthropology of tourism. There's a few scholars here and there that they that are able to mobilize themselves and go to these European-based conferences, but for, unless they are involved, like um, uh, um, <clears throat> excuse me, Nelson Graber is very much involved in these kinds of conferences, and, and thus is a, has a global international fame. But Kathleen does as well, and Naomi, who's now in <clears throat> in England, also has this a different way of circulating. But one of the things that we found is that Bruner was not really, people were reinventing not only sort of the problem of how to study authenticity, scholars were reinventing how to do ethnography who weren't ethnographers or weren't anthropologists. You know, these cultural studies people doing in or in any of the kinds of fields that are crisscrossing through the study of tourism, are we're doing something ethnography-like or ethnography-labeled that uh, wouldn't pass in many of our classes of uh, undergrad <laughs> seminars, right? And so this, I think, is uh, we we are aiming for that uh, for this book to have a kind of contribute to that discussion and help those kinds of scholars from an interdisciplinary perspective that are not anthropology-based. At least that's how I understood our debates. You know, uh, over seven years, I think uh, <laughs> you said 2013 was when we started thinking about, you started thinking about this as a book. But, uh, you know, our ideas have sort of mutated in various kinds of ways. But uh, I'll let Naomi and Kathleen add. Yeah, um, I think uh, Ketsil put it beautifully. Um, that a really important goal for us in this book was to say, and this is part of why it's called the ethnography of tourism and not the anthropology of tourism, is to say to our colleagues in all of these different uh, humanistic social sciences and critical theory study, critical studies, um, that the terms that we're using, ethnography, encounter, authenticity, border zones. These are terms that actually come out of a discipline. They come out of anthropology and they come out of anthropology in dialogue with other disciplines before, in some cases, before anthropology. So, you know, we'll talk a little later about in, in the content of the book that Bruner's ideas didn't just come from anthropology at all. But it's really important, I think, for people entering the study of tourism today, and especially if they're calling themselves ethnographers, to understand the intellectual history of the terminology that they're using so that we don't end up with people reinventing and reinventing and reinventing the wheel. And it was actually, um, in, in some ways, a really heartening aspect of working on this book was seeing what tremendous re resonance and synergy there is out there already, that if people could find ways, and then certainly in this you know, internet-based COVID world, it seems easier and easier. If people can find each other and engage and talk about their ideas, they will find, if you take a stance of, oh, I hear echoes of what I'm doing and what you're doing, rather than, oh, I'm the first one who thought of this and I'm going to stake my flag um, and make my claim that these are my ideas. If we take a more collaborative approach, we can actually find a tremendous basis for coming together and, and collaborating in, in really remarkable ways. And that was for me, the big lesson of working through this book was seeing how certain concepts show up over and over and over again in ways that when we bring them together, it makes that much richer a concept rather than it being reinvented over and over and over again in slightly different ways. Um, Kathleen, I don't know if you wanted to add to this. 
I think you've covered exactly what I was thinking, the importance of being collaborative in one's approach and in recognizing the past and uh, paying homage to work that really Brunner was involved in pioneering. So, and drawing from previous scholars who inspired him. Yeah, and I'll just add, it sounds like I'm probably one of your target kind of readers because I'm a musicologist grad student who, you know, with the sister discipline, ethnomusicology uses fieldwork a lot. So this was really helpful for me <laughs> in understanding that history. Um, so that was really interesting to hear about the place of this book and, you know, what it adds to that broader uh literature. And then going on to more of the content of the book, let's start with the obvious place, the introduction, in which you discuss the emergence of the ethnographic study of tourism within anthropology. So when and how did tourism become more of a focal point in ethnographic research? So Kathleen, if you want to take this one. I'm happy to do so. Uh, Really starting in the 60s and 70s, we start to see various anthropologists saying, you know, this is really something interesting that we need to turn our lens towards rather than ignore. Uh, And some of this, of course, coincided with the rise of jumbo jets, uh, recreational travel becoming more accessible to the so-called masses. Uh, But uh, really, a lot of these anthropologists in the 60s and 70s who are calling for us to look to tourism were people who were finding that they were doing their long-term ethnographic research in some distant locale, as was classic in anthropology, right? And they were finding tourists kind of wandering into their, their view framers on their, their cameras. And um, so these early anthropologists said, we need to look at this. And uh, Naomi mentioned Valene Smith's pioneering you know, book, which emerged from a 1974, I believe, conference in Mexico, uh, where she put out a call saying, anyone who has data on tourism, you know, come and present your paper, and they organize this panel. Uh, but actually, a lot of the 1970s publications, um, you know, tourism was something kind of accidental that they stumbled on. And to give you a sense of this, I mentioned earlier that seminar that opened my eyes to tourism and ethnicity as a potential field of study. This was in 1982. One of the conveners of that uh, was a sociologist named Pierre Vandenberg. And uh, Pierre uh, had done really interesting work on tourism and ethnicity, uh, but prior to that, ethnicity and ethnic interactions in Cusco, Peru. And he had done long-term field work. He was very much influenced by the anthropological tradition. And he, in this research, stumbled on and decided to write more exclusively about tourism. However, when he went to this 1982 seminar, he wanted to show us images. And he had absolutely no images of tourists. He had a tourist elbow here or a tennis shoe there. But he had so, you know, he'd been so adept at aiming his camera away from tourists to show, you know, the traditional scenes that he couldn't really illustrate what he wanted to talk about. And we all chuckled about it during his presentation, but this kind of stuck with me that um, it really wasn't until uh, the 80s that you start to see graduate students like me saying, I want to go out and actually make tourism the, the one of the main focal points of my research. And uh, so the 80s, there's this kind of big shift. And um, Anthropologists in the 70s period are kind of saying, is tourism good or bad? Is it a new kind of economic panacea for struggling nations? Uh, Or is it neo-colonialism? 
they're also, you know, asking questions um, about impacts, right? Economic impacts and environmental impacts and cultural impacts. So there's a kind of uh, Robert Wood, who's a, another sociologist who studies tourism, talks about these kinds of older models. Not everyone embraced them, but a lot of these older models involved uh, looking at and embracing a kind of billiard ball model of tourism where you have this kind of static culture that is unchanging, right? The sort of false representations of these traditional cultures and tourism comes in and knocks it like a billiard ball and jostles it around and makes for all these changes. And of course, today we have, you know, we've abandoned that kind of understanding of societies and tourism is kind of part and parcel of all sorts of aspects of society and societies are not static and unchanging. But back then, many, not all, but many of these earlier studies embrace that kind of approach as Robert Wood um, and Michel Picard uh, noted in an earlier book on tourism and ethnicity in the state. Uh, and since then, by the mid 80s and 90s, we had um, the rise of postmodernism, which had huge impacts in all sorts of fields. And we start to get a more nuanced understanding of tourism where ethnographic approaches start to uh, look at uh, the anthropologists as situated as part and parcel of um, what we are trying to write about. Uh, we start looking at raising new, newer questions about meaning making. Uh, and I'm, I, I should probably stop here because I think we'll talk more about some of these, these newer approaches that Ed Bruner ushers onto the scene. Um, it looks like Ketzel wants to add to this. Yeah. I, one of the things that you, that all of us in the study of tourism know about is that uh, there was in that earlier period that uh, Kathleen just nicely uh, indicated, that there's a lot of uh, depreciation of, of, the, of, the, of it as a field, as an object of study, and of, of the people who study it. Um, and I like this billiard ball model. I know of, of, of Woods, but I only recently learned of this story that you told or this article about the billiard ball uh, analogy. I myself was working on a similar kind of uh, analysis of the problem of thinking of cultures in terms of the word impact. And that my article was going to be accepted for publication in a journal, but it got kicked back finally by and was not accepted. It was my second second chapter of my book, uh, a version of that about the, the impact of tourism on the place. So that that really, that moment of the 90s that, that where Kathleen just ended is was really a sort of a watershed between approaches, sort of the, the, a way of studying tourism that was sort of developed uh, ad hoc, but uh, in not all, like uh, Berlin was very conscious of studying it. <clears throat> And this whole other kinds of approaches and a whole series of other kinds of, of new theories and theoretical problems and ways of thinking about not only tourism, but everything, specifically culture. And, and I just thought to add that. <laughs> I, can I add one thing? There's also a shift in methodology that I think it's really important that we address right. here. Uh, and we have... Uh, people like me, I went off to do my dissertation research uh, in 1984. 
so, and I spent a couple of years in Indonesia doing research. And when I went to the field, there was this model that anthropologists go to the field, right? Some other distant place, they plant themselves there for a year or two years, uh, and they look at dynamics situated in that spot as they develop trusting relationships with local community members. Um, while I was in the field, as we say in anthropology, things were changing. And I was changing as an anthropologist. I had absorbed and critique, you know, as a graduate student, you're always kind of thinking critically about your ancestors, intellectual and otherwise, and seeing how you can maybe make some little tweaks and um, improvements and understandings. And I was sitting in the field realizing that I wasn't getting what was happening if I wasn't following those tourists. And I started quite by accident. My mother came to visit me in the field and we went off to Bali from Sulawesi, a different island, and I kind of gave her a tourist view of Indonesia. And as I was there, I started realizing that that's what all the tourists coming through where I was doing my field work in Taraja were also experiencing. Um, and I started realizing I needed to look, you know, follow the tourists. And I started joining up with tours, something that Ed Bruner did. Um, I actually later went and became a tour guide as well, um, an anthropologist tour guide on a luxury cruise ship to better understand that experience and the representations of the places we were going to by by others on the ship um, and the narratives they were telling. So all of us started realizing we needed to do multi-sided ethnography, which basically means, you know, following the tourist as if we're talking about tourism ethnography to the various sites they're going and even home, talking to them before they depart on their trips, uh, not just being rooted in one site. So this was a key uh, ethnographic methodological innovation that really started to blossom in the in the 80s, late 80s, I would say, but people didn't start publishing that research until the 90s. So. Great. That helps a lot with, again, kind of laying the foundation and giving our listeners some context and continuing with, you know, some contextualization here for them. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about the late Dr. Edward Bruner and his contributions to the ethnography of tourism? Uh, Naomi, if you want to take this one. Yeah, um, well, this where, where he sits in, in the history that you've just been hearing um, is actually right in between the moment of the impact kind of model and the rise of things like multi-sided ethnography. Um, and the reason I say in between is because Bruner's uh, contribution is really twofold. Um, and we need to understand it in that way as being two things. First, he was a forerunner um, in, in, as an early figure in developing a postmodern humanistic anthropology in the 1970s and 1980s, long before he came to tourism research. And we need to separate that from his contributions on tourism, for which he is justly famous. Um, but that work on tourism was only possible, and, and its resonance with others was only possible because of the earlier work he did as one among a whole cadre of scholars who in the 1970s and 1980s were becoming interested more and more in understanding culture, not as something fixed that the billiard bar, ball could knock over, um, not as something fixed, but as something that was continuously emergent in every moment, that um, it's not a bundle of traits that a people shares, it is instead the way that we make sense of the world. Um, so we can talk about culture is can be understood as um, how people experience things, the meaning that they draw from it, um, 
and the kinds of patterns of interaction that they have, and those can evolve over time. The kinds of representations that they make of things and what those representations mean. This is a very different model of culture than I'm going to go to some far off island and note down each of the different ritual practices that the people have. And what happened in the 1970s and early 1980s was a, a real shift to an interest in not the broad sweep, the generalization, but this particular ritual at this particular moment in time, what does it reveal about how these people live in the world, how they understand the world, how they engage with it, and what larger questions of politics, social change, economics might be feeding into their interpretation of these representations that they make around them. And by representations, we might mean art, we might mean dramatic performance, um, we might mean um, something like in Clifford Gertz's work, the Balinese cockfight. These are all examples of attempting to approach human behavior, not as something to be counted, but as something to be understood. So Bruner comes in at precisely this moment um, in, as a leading figure in, in this postmodern humanistic anthropology. But even prior to that, and this is something that we um, really worked to explore in the book and was something I learned, I had not been aware of this about him beforehand. Um, and Kathleen addresses this in one of her chapters in the book as well, um, that he really, from a much earlier phase, had been interested in the creative meaning-making um, the freedom of the individual within set social roles. Uh, so how do you make yourself given the social role that you are placed in, as opposed to just documenting what are the social roles? So you're looking at the individual and the way that individual people uh, make meaning in the world. So he brought that starting all the way back in the 1950s when he was a grad student. That set of interests went through, helped him be one of the many people, not many people, a small group of people who were really driving a shift to bring the postmodernism of the humanities into anthropology. Um, and then, and only then, did he discover tourism. By that time, there was an earlier generation of scholars who were already very active in the anthropology of tourism, as Ketzel and Kathleen have said, but they actually weren't any older than him. In fact, he was 10 years older than Nelson Grayburn, who is a foundational figure. And this is because he came to tourism after becoming interested in issues of representation and meaning. And the, the, the thing that it's important to understand here, and here is the second, as I say, the second area of contribution. Because anthropology was shifting in that way, it was more and more possible to think about, you no, know, tourism isn't a, a lesser simulacrum of something real. It is another aspect of culture. It's a cultural product. It's a cultural product like any other thing that people do and make and derive meaning from. Once you look at it that way, you can bring Bruner's kind of toolkit to bear on it. And what happened was he was on a study abroad tour as one of the co-leaders for a group of high school students. And um, I believe it was high school students, might've been college. It's high, high school, college? College. Anyway, um, he and his collaborator, Barbara Kirshenblatt Gimblet, Gimblet um, who is in performance studies, discussed together as they led these students around various locations. It was a, a, a study abroad program that went from world heritage site to world heritage site in the sense of you know, these major destinations in different countries. They found themselves talking about 
the ways that these different sites were constructed and how people were making meaning and what kinds of narratives were being told by the guides. And that's when he started to write about it. So unlike Kathleen, who was trying to do traditional field work and said, wait a minute, I need to modify how I'm doing this. I'm going to follow the tourist. That's the way to do it. He started out accidentally, effectively being a tourist and said, oh, well, this is just like these other kinds of representational forms I've been fascinated by and talking with my colleagues about. I'm going to look at this now. So in a way, he is a forefather. In another way, he's a latecomer to the anthropology of tourism. So depending on how we look at him, um, we might see his influence differently. And I think it is, in some ways, um, it can be frustrating for anthropologists to see just how often he is cited by scholars who call themselves ethnographers outside of anthropology, who don't know that he's part of a, a, a trajectory of scholarship, both in humanistic and postmodern and interpretive anthropologies, and in the anthropology of tourism. He wasn't the only one in either one of those things, but because he is a brilliant writer and he's very insightful, the way that he brought those streams together has made him stand out as a pivotal figure. Also, because he was so prominent in that earlier period of postmodern anthropology, um, he had a ready-made stage to speak from and to reach anthropologists who were not interested in tourism. And interestingly, um, he did not engage directly with most of the literature in the anthropology of tourism. He was directing his work to other scholars who were interested in questions of representation and narrative and meaning. So he occupies a kind of an odd position um, in, in the history of the field, but his contributions in, in a broad sense, I think, can be summed up that way. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it... <clears throat> a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. That's all. I'm trying to find my mute button. And just a tag to add the conclusion, concluding sentence to that. And that is what contributes to the fact that, that other kinds of interdisciplinary scholarship of tourism doesn't recognize often anthropology in general, anthropology of tourism, and, and often the, the, the ethnog specific ethnography of tourism that, has, that is connected through at Brunner or, or not. <clears throat> Can I add to that also that as a young scholar of Indonesia and identity politics back in the 80s, I knew Bruner's work because he had done very pioneering work on uh, migrants and ethnic identity, Batak migrants in Indonesia who are living in urban cities and in urban locales. And already, I think we can say early on in his work, before he turned to tourism, he was interested in issues of mobility he was interested in issues of identity negotiation. Um, many of the threads of his subsequent tourism work were really deeply woven into uh, the broader fabric of, of his interests. And I think for those of us who work in Indonesia, you know, he was a stellar figure from very early on and had made these important contributions. So moving into tourism made perfect sense and was deeply grounded 
in literature on ethnicity, in literature that had to do with mobility before we called it mobility studies. Great, thank you. I think all that helps kind of situate for our listeners, you know, this pivotal figure to the book and, you know, this broader discipline. And sticking for a moment here with um, discussions about Dr. Bruner, you know, I thought it was interesting that we got to hear from him a bit in part five of the book, you know, in chapter 11, particular reflections. It was interesting how he kind of reflected on the previous chapters. You know, he mentions a couple of times that he became aware of continuities in his work because of this edited volume. You know, he says in part two, about the part two chapters that they quote, isolate my contributions and direct attention to the continuities in my approach. This astonishes me for a restless nomadic anthropologist who has worked in different areas of the world. It's easy to lose sight of the continuities in my own research. I once said somewhere that despite my peripatetic career, I'm still the same Ed Bruner. Now, after reading these papers, I really believe it, end quote. So, you know, kind of sticking with that kind of idea of reflection, what did the three of you also learn about um, in the process of working on this book? Um, Let's maybe go in the order, Kathleen, Katsil, and Naomi. Well, I can certainly say that I learned the value of collaborative scholarship, that Uh, learning, working with both Naomi and Katsil, I learned from them um, tremendously. You know, they each brought their own areas of expertise and insight. And I think the book is better because it's not edited by a single editor, but by all three of us. And so, you know, I felt like after this project, I always want to collaborate and on any sort of edited endeavor or, you know, in the field as well. Uh, So for me, that was valuable. And I also think that I learned that working on a book, just as Ed described his career as peripatetic, as a peripatetic journey, I would say the same for working on a book. You know, we we took a lot of meandering paths. Um, It wasn't a lineal point A, B, C to Z. You know, it was rather meandering, but I think richer because of the time involved in producing it. Although, you know, we felt badly that it wasn't more speedily produced. I think that that journey was part of making it a richer product. I would uh, echo that uh, sentiment. I think we all, all three of us wrote to each other and said, hey, it's done. And uh, it was really great working with each other and learning from each other. We really did. Uh, I, uh, I echo that. I, uh, both of you, uh, Kathleen and Naomi, it was a tremendous learning experience, but also the authors as well. And, um, you know, I, I wanted to say something I was thinking when you read, the, when you talked about Ed's read Ed's quote about himself being himself. I was thinking of Michel Foucault's The, the Author Function and how uh, maybe it's something, you know, he's himself, but he's also a different self, as Naomi said earlier. So there's two selves. And so we have to think about, uh, he's two of the same selves. Um, but uh, we have, I think we need to differentiate, you know, the text that we write and, and uh, who we are as authors that are threading together these different texts. Uh, but I also wanted to say that uh, along that lines, uh, it took seven years to make this book, I guess. Seven years, I'm bad at math. Uh, six, okay, see? And, uh, and we submitted, I think, four different final versions. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not sure that this is not really just a fake final draft. <laughs> 
maybe maybe we will rejoin and rewrite the the, <laughs> the real final version uh, in a couple of years from now. I'm not sure. I guess it's my turn. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, well, I was going to say actually something that I learned. Uh, uh, it, we had these questions beforehand to think about, and I was going to say something that I learned. This very highbrow intellectual lesson that I'd learned, which I will say, but first I want to follow up on what Kathleen and Ketzil have said, um, which is that I learned a tremendous amount about the value in hearing different people's perspectives on things that I thought I understood. And, and what I mean by that, and this actually goes back to what we were saying earlier of, you know, how many times can you reinvent an analysis of, of the concept of authenticity? I had my read on Gruner that was based on my own intellectual history and how I had come to his work. And talking with Ketzil, Ketzil and I were working on this book together for most of those six years. <laughs> Kathleen got to be part of the later lengthy years. Um, I learned that Ketzil's take on where Werner fit into the discipline was different to mine. And as a result, the introduction that we ended up writing was different to what I had originally thought if I was going to single author the intro, how I would have described his position in the history of the discipline. And that's because Ketzil is tremendously knowledgeable about postmodernism and about that moment in the history of anthropology. Similarly, hearing Kathleen talk about Ed's uh, contribution in her own learning before he even turned to tourism, because remember in 1984, Kathleen is off studying tourism in the field. Bruner hasn't published anything on tourism yet. He doesn't publish yet. That's the year that he's actually doing the study abroad program discovering tourism. So hearing from Kathleen about how actually she knew him as a scholar of migration, mobility, although we didn't use that term then, identity in Indonesia, for me was what I had, I knew nothing about that. And so I came away with a much more nuanced and complex understanding of this scholar who I thought I had understood um, through working with them. So I think that there's that piece. And also just how challenging and frustrating and wonderful it can be to collaborate closely on a project like this. Um, but then now the more highbrow thing that I learned from it, which is really how complex intellectual histories are. And the, the, the genealogy of ideas, when we really start to trace it, it never as simple as we're led to believe as grad students, for example. And trying to tease back, how does Brunner get to where, where most of us encounter him. Most of us in, in tourism encounter him through his work on tourism. And we don't, except for people like Kathleen, but we don't, we don't know about what he was writing on um, a Native American reservation in 1957, right? We don't know about that work. And coming to understand why that work is drawing on a sociological subfield, symbolic interactionism, where he studied that as a grad student, how that then feeds into his work in the 1950s, which then leads into his interest in postmodernism and meaning making. And then we end up with the work on tourism much later, starting to tease back that kind of intellectual history. We can really see how many different ways there are to trace influences and, and how much also personal relationships play into the intellectual outputs that people generate. Because a lot of this we try to tell this history a little in the introduction. A lot of Bruner's work that led him to the anthropology of tourism came out of collaboration with fellow anthropologists in the development of a postmodern and interpretive anthropology. And those two things are not the same, but they evolved 
together in, in the history of the discipline, he was working with a group of people very closely. And we have to assume that all of these ideas are sort of in the air, there's ferment going on, and no one person is the originator of a single idea. And that really, I think, came through for all of us in, in working through this book. Um, and then having Nelson Grayburn co-author um, the chapter with me on Berner's education and his earliest research and hearing from Nelson Grayburn, who was a doctoral student a few years after Ed Bruner at the same university, hearing his perspective on who they worked with as grad students and what they learned from them and how that shaped their perspective. It really made me see that these things that we think of as separate moments are really deeply intertwined. You can't understand the, the anthropology of someone like Ed Brunner in the 1950s without understanding his mentors who were trained in the 1930s, even though their work may look very, very different, there are continuities. And I think we're taught a lot of rupture in the history of a discipline when we're being trained as doctoral students. We're not taught that much about the continuities or the resonance or the echoes or the convergences. And again, this goes back to what Kathleen said about collaborative work, but from a slightly different perspective, which is that I think the more we look for the resonance, the more we see um, that we're really all trying to do the same thing and we don't really need to be competitive about it. We'll, we'll get a lot farther if we, if we acknowledge our building on each other and seek out similar kinds of analyses to what we're trying to do than if we are constantly trying to show that we're the, the new thinker on the block. Yes, and I think this volume definitely accomplished that. And, you know, you were talking a lot about the introduction, you know, in part two. So sticking with that, you know, section of the book, what have been some of Bruner's most influential ideas and theories? In other words, what are some key terms for this book that are kind of outlined both in part one and part two? You want me to continue with that? Yeah. So, so um, what's a funny thing? Because the first three terms that I would immediately point to are the three terms that are in the title of the introduction, um, encounter, experience, and emergent culture. But in fact, those three concepts are not Bruner's. He drew them from, we could say horizontally, colleagues, they're working together on a, on a new theory of culture, rather than being something that you could describe as fixed and static and in the world out there. Instead, it's something intersubjective that is produced every moment as we um, engage with others and make things and draw meaning from them. Um, that wasn't particular to him, but it's through him that it really seeds a particular branch of the anthropology of tourism. Although others were writing at exactly the same time, starting to work on tourism, coming out of the same intellectual ferment, he really is a leading figure and we tend to see him as, as a pivotal figure in, in that shift. Um, similarly, his interest in experience, which is a key element throughout this book and throughout his work, um, emerges out of his collaboration with Victor Turner and their shared interest in understanding the nature of reality. How do we as anthropologists know what anyone else's experience of reality is? We can never actually know their reality because they can't know their reality. We only experience things through the filter of our consciousness. So as anthropologists, what do we do? Well, he says, we can only look at how they express what their experience is. And this is an, a, a way of approaching it that he and Victor Turner developed together. So, um, their experience, understanding how do we as enculturated beings engage with something that we might think of as reality, um, the way that we experience it is culturally inflected. That's a key part of all of this. So a tourism site does not exist on its own in the abstract 
separate from filtered lived experiences of it, and those lived experiences are culturally inflected. That is very much a core theme that runs throughout this book. But again, as I say, and throughout his work, but as I say, it's something that evolved out of his collaboration with other people. And this term encounter is another one that um, I realized in exploring his work and going back in time, really, although he rarely cites uh, symbolic interactionists um, in our interview with him that we did, that's chapter 10, um, uh, Ketzila and Michael and I did um, an interview with him and Michael wrote it up for the, for the book. Um, he spoke about having taken classes with symbolic interactionists and having read their work as a doctoral student. And then he really doesn't do much explicitly with it throughout his career. But symbolic interactionism is focused around the concept of the encounter and the ways that people make meaning in an encounter. What interpretive frameworks do they bring to the encounter and how do they come to some kind of working agreement of what, what it all means together? So how do we actually communicate with people? Um, and that as well, that concept of encounter, he uses the phrase tourism encounters, um, but what he's talking about is a particular moment in which meaning is generated and different parties are involved in a meaning-making exchange. Fundamentally a symbolic interactionist perspective. Um, so again, as I say, encounter experience emergent culture, these are core concepts that emerge out of collaboration. The other concepts that, that um, are addressed in the book that are key themes in his work and, and that he had, we felt he had something um, original to say about them, either in direct opposition to the literature so far or building upon the literature so far, um, ideas of authenticity. You know, tourists are, are tourists looking for something authentic? And if they are, how are they defining that term? What does that mean? Um, narrative. What are the stories that people tell themselves and tell others about their experiences? And how do those stories shape the experience and their memory of it? Um, contested sites is another one of his terms, looking at tourist attractions as places in which various kinds of um, larger conflicts get negotiated or um, struggles for representation play out. Uh, the border zone, which is the space of encounter, to go back to this term encounter, the border zone being um, what we could call touristic social space, that is the particular environment in which tourists and local people come together for a short period of time in structured interactions. Embodiment, he was very interested in the bodily experience of being a tourist or what he called the sheer materiality of being there that your physical presence at a tourist site fundamentally shapes your experience of it. There's that term again, experience, um, that we can't just look at it as vision or text. We need to understand bodily experience. Um, identity, as, as Kathleen has said, is another core theme in his work, mobility and emotion. So all of these terms um, are, are key principles or concepts that he thinks with in his work. Aside from the border zone and contested sites, these are actually terms that he deals with sometimes in using different vocabulary going back decades. So they're not necessarily specific to his work in tourism, but he really drives forward a, a conversation in the anthropology of tourism by engaging with some of these terms that either had been um, already under debate in the anthropology of tourism or that he brought into the debate within that sphere.
Thank you, Naomi. And uh, continuing with, you know, this idea of key concepts, you know, building on three of his ideas that, you know, he's built upon authenticity, borders on and constructivism, you know, how do we see those ideas built upon in part, excuse me, part three of the book, entitled Explorations? So Kathleen, if you want to take this one. Okay. Well, to start with the first one, um, the idea of authenticity, Naomi's already given us a bit of a sense of it since the earlier studies of tourism were suggesting that tourism creates kind of fake, inauthentic culture, fake, inauthentic rituals. Um, Bruner, of course, in his constructivist vein, argued that culture is very much emergent, as we've talked about, and we should be asking how authenticity, authenticity is constructed. That is, you know, at, to use his words, how does something achieve an aura of being authentic? And the first chapter in the section by Walter Little uh, draws from his very long-term research uh, in Guatemala. Uh, his chapter title is Whatever We Weave is Authentic. And in this chapter, he looks at the co-production of authenticity in Guata Guatemalan textile markets. That is, he's really interested in addressing the issue of how is it that uh, Mayan host weavers and visiting tourists, visiting buyers of their textiles, uh, construct authenticity in interaction, uh, in discussion, the sort of emergent construction of authenticity. Uh, and so he you know, pushes that um, the theme of authenticity in Bruno's work even further. Uh, and likewise, if we turn to the second chapter in this section, uh, which pursues and develops uh, Bruno's concept of the border zone that Naomi just spoke about, um, again, just to recap, the border zone is that performative space, right? In term, in, wherein tourists and visitors meet and the idea is then they go back to the respective zones afterwards, after this kind of creative encounters. Um, in this next chapter in the section by Valerio Simoni, um, he builds on his long-term research in Cuba and he looks at the relationships that develop between foreign tourists and the Cubans they're visiting, that is these relationships that happen in that touristic border zone. But here again, he is building on and expanding uh, Bruner's notion to explore how both tourists and visitors um, are striving to really move beyond, to push beyond that border zone. How they're not only encountering one another there, but they're trying to develop relationships. Uh, they're trying to cultivate longer term friendships or romantic partnerships uh, that can open up all sorts of new possibilities for them later on beyond the border zone. Uh, so again, he's kind of expanding, building on and expanding that concept. And then the third and final chapter in this section of the book um, addresses a number of Bruno's concepts, initially the concept of constructivism, but also embodiment. Uh, and this chapter is by Sally Ann Ness. Uh, and she did research in Yosemite Valley, uh, took on trekking, and um, looks at uh, Bruner's concept of constructivism and in a nod to uh, semiotician Charles Pierce, who she was interested in his work since, since she was a graduate student. We were graduate students together at the University of Washington, and she initially did work on the anthropology of dance and kind of Piercean analyses, and later did research um, in Yosemite, looking at what she read she kind of rebrands um, Bruner's idea of constructivism as uh, pragmatic constructivism and a nod to Pierce. 
And she offers us an autoethnographic analysis of her own experiences trekking, hiking on the Yosemite Falls Trail. I don't know if any of you have ever been on it, but it is a rigorous trail. I've hiked it and uh, it is draining to say the least. And so she looks at herself, her own experiences, autoethnography, hiking that trail and the kind of meaning making that occurs as she moves along in this trek. Uh, and so she's here showing us um, how on a kind of skeletal muscular level, uh, she's developing forms of knowledge, these new ideas about, um, about meaning and um, as she's moving along the, the hike, uh, she being present there with Yosemite Valley uh, is giving us a kind of constructivist idea in which meaning emerges in process. And it's not a kind of verbal form of meaning, but it's an embodied form of, of meaning, an embodied understanding. And so here we see the kind of constructivism of Bruner in operation. Uh, so all three of these chapters address and build on uh, Bruner's concepts in different ways. Great. Thank you, Kathleen. And, you know, going on to the next section, too, we see this, you know, extension of some of his ideas as well. You know, the very title section, Further Field, New Departures. Um, Katsil, if you want to take this one, how do we see that set of chapters um, extending some of Bruner's ideas? You know, these are three chapters that are that are in different, all of the chapters sort of across the, the face of the globe, right? They're, they're dispersed. And and at first uh, glance, you might think that these don't have much connection to each other. Uh, sort of, uh, you know, in title, further field suggests uh, a dispersion of vocalizations. But I think there is a, a, a link here. Uh, and actually, uh, this is one of, in one of the versions of this book. Uh, I was not in this section here. And uh, I don't know, uh, I guess perhaps Naomi will be the one to... Uh, to tell us if my theory of why these three are here together are, is accurate or not. But what I see here is that uh, in many ways, in one sense, all three chapters are considering tourism in ways that are not what we typically understand to be tourism. They are, they are quite, <laughs> right? So uh, starting with David's, uh, David Picard's uh, hospitality and transformation of self. So what he's looking at is saying, okay, asking this question, is there, or not asking more of, or sort of engaging in the debate and the question about, uh, is there tourism that's not Western, not Eurocentric, not the result of capitalism and nation states? You know, my, my view is that tourism is part and parcel of nation states, capitalism, and modernity. And so when we talk about, you know, you can read all these Roman scholars and Roman archeologists that say that tourism was first invented with Rome and that's, there's Roman tourism. Uh, I would say that there's something, there's something else going on there. And actually that fits much more with, they have concept of hospitality and, and relationships that are, that are closer to uh, what, uh, David uh, discusses in Madagascar, you know, this idea of that, that traveling and visiting other people is, uh, is something that we, is fundamental to tourism, but here it's constructed in a very specific kind of concept, cultural construction and set of ideas, uh, hospitality. Similarly with Kathleen, 
it's a different kind of beast. It's not what we normally expect. And this is sort of like the surprise, right? And, and she even says so in the beginning that, you know, I've been studying tourism, but I never thought of studying uh, other, uh, other folks coming back to Indonesia as, as tourists, right? They're just visiting home, right? Uh, but anybody who's gone away to college and come back to home uh, for the Thanksgiving knows what being a tourist is like. Right. So it's taken us a while. It points in the direction that what is tourism? Tourism is something that we invent as a category and impose billiard ball like walls and solidities because it's not what the it's actually a fluid. And one of my arguments about imp, the critique of, of the concept of impact and using tourism is that. The only way you can make an argument about something being touristic, some dimension of tourism imp having impact on this community, this culture, this ritual, this whatever, is because you've eliminated all those other things that are already could have been part of tourism, <laughs> except that you analytically said that it's not in order, therefore, to say that it's the thing that's affecting, making this, this causal effect, right? Because uh, everything could be tourism depending on the focalization, the conceptual, the analysis here. And so uh, the, 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 three articles, the three chapters here together tell us that tourism is something, is more than just what we had been thinking of. Um, and so go ahead, uh, uh, Naomi. Oh, um, I, I, was, I was just flagging that I'd like to say something next, if you'd like to continue, I just wanted to. Okay. I make sort of an analogy and an analytical analogy. I don't make the argument the same kind of thing that uh, that uh, Kathleen and David do about saying this is this is something another form of tourism that we should take seriously. I'm talking about the way that politicians go to visit archaeological sites or other kinds of sites as a kind of tourism to make a critical analysis and analogy there. But that idea I take from from uh, and Ben Anderson, who's also an Indonesianist, I believe, right? Uh, uh, so, uh, you know, the, the governmental tourism, uh, tour, uh, political campaigns as kinds of tourism, uh, the, the tours of, uh, of uh, bands, these are tourisms, right? So it, what the further field tells us is both that, uh, that tourism is a multiplicity of other kinds of things that we can take must consider as can consider that but at the same time it's also sort of dissipating and dissolving the thereness of tourism at the same time that it's making it quite there and as an object of study and thus it's pointing um, for us who are reading this as sort of guidelines to help us develop our own research it points us in the direction that we have to be actually quite quite meta meta consciously aware of what we're doing when we're defining our objects of study. These are virtual virtualities, right? The world is always intersected in all sorts of ways. And so it's an analytical separation of things or bringing together of things. Uh, just, as, just to take an example, who is Ed Bruner? The discussion that we've had in this whole hour, right? Uh, we've put them apart and put them back together and made them in different kinds of things. He's an author, and yet he's also this uh, friend of many of us. So that's what uh, I see as the contribution of these last three chapters, is telling us that there's, that there's more to do with tourism 
and there's many more different ways of doing it. I would absolutely agree with that and, and say that, um, Hitzel, you, you said maybe I could tell you why why those three chapters were together. And I, I, I agree completely with your interpretation of it. That was not conscious in the final reshuffling <laughs> of the chapters. <laughs> but you're absolutely right. Um, and I, I think the reason that, or, or another piece of what makes them work together in that way is that all of them are about, I felt, more than one of Brunner's concepts. So each of these chapters was written in response to our putting out a request for, oh, could you, your work really seems to deal with X, Y, Z. Could you, could you kind of give us a genealogy of his work on this concept and then play it out further? And then in the editing process, I remember realizing, oh, wait, this chapter is not just about mobility. If we take Kathleen's, for example, it's really also about identity and it's really also about embodiment. And a bunch of his concepts are coming together here. And part of what's happening in, in each of these three chapters is that because as anthropologists, um, even if we call ourselves anthropologists of tourism, and, and as I said, I tend not to, um, even though I I'm often identified in that way, um, we're always studying more. We're looking at tourism as a kind of behavior or a system of representation within the context of larger social phenomena or intersecting social phenomena. And so in each of these chapters, the first David Picard's chapter um, about various kinds of strangers in Madagascar in a fishing village and how people bring in a concept of hospitality that they have that's developed around spirit possession, allowing others into the self. They then are thinking about their interactions with foreigners who might be environmental scientists, they might be aid workers, whoever they are, they're engaging with them according to a structure of hospitality around spirit possession. Um, well, that doesn't really seem to be about tourism, but actually he is building on Bruner's concepts of narrative, his concepts of encounter. Right? There are numerous uh, different issues that are being brought, brought in there that he's drawing on and expanding. So there, it's almost, as, as Ketzil said, it's, it's, it almost isn't tourism, or maybe it's an analogy of tourism, or maybe tourism isn't what we think it is. In, similarly, in, in Kathleen's chapter, she's writing about migrants. Sometimes, sometimes they are themselves emigrants from Indonesia, or they've moved, they're rural urban migrants, and they're coming back to the village, but more often they are second or third generation. Uh, so they're born abroad or they're raised abroad and they're coming back. And this is no longer a familiar place to them. So is this migration, is it tourism? How do we understand the experience of coming home when that home may not any longer or may never have been familiar? I hope I'm not misrepresenting that, Kathleen. But, um, and then with Ketzil's chapter, um, which, which is framed as being a response or, or engaging with Werner's ideas of contested sites, identity, and stories or narratives. Assignment. <laughs> Your assignment, that's right. His assignment was contested sites. <laughs> and then he, he brought in stories. Um, but what he does is take one site, the site of much of his fieldwork, for, at least for his first book and, and sub, some sub, subsequent work as well, takes the site of Chichen Itza and looks at all the different ways that it's drawn into different kinds of political negotiation, different kinds of stands for representation or ownership, um, whether it's crafts vendors at the site and the ways that they use their relationship to the site for their own ends, 
or it's a politician coming in and using the backdrop of the site for his own ends. In each of these cases, the ways that different stories about the history and stories about um, presence and ownership, um, the ways that they come together and help us understand that uh, the site is not one site, it is many sites, and it's embedded in many different histories. So there again, is this tourism? Well, it is a tourist destination, and it is famous in part because it's a tourist destination, but it's a bunch of other things too. So as you said, Ketzel, I think you're absolutely right that each one of those chapters is about something much more than tourism. And it's also about much more than one of these key concepts in each case where we're tracing out different themes. So that's really um, why I put them all together in that section. What this points to is you know, tourism is a very specific kind of field in which issues of travel, identity, encountering, and differentiation are intersecting. And so that space of that intersection can be approached in multiple different kinds of ways, you know, uh, as a field of tourism studies. And it can be approached from a variety of different kinds of agendas, like let's figure out how to do it. Let's do the ethnography of, of how people's experiences are in this place so we can make a better, AKA better, whether that's more profitable or quote more green, which might be the same thing, uh, kind of tourism, or is it to do some other kind of work, right? Point, what's the point of all this? Where, where's the direction? What's the objective? What's, what are we trying to learn from the study of how these things are intersecting in the spaces in which we are doing our ethnographic work? Yeah, you both have given me a lot to think about <laughs> with this kind of, uh, this section in particular was helpful for, you know, complicating all of that in that way, which was good. And, you know, um, in the afterword as well, you know, you, you talk about Brunner's influence outside of anthropology and in, you know, tourism studies at large. So that being said, who else from a disciplinary standpoint might benefit from this edited volume besides an anthropologist? How might its readership go beyond anthropology. So um, for this question, let's go Kathleen, Katsil, and Naomi. I guess I'd first like to say that um, I hope that some of the multidisciplinary scholars in critical, critical tourism studies would be interested. And just to clarify for those who are not fami familiar with critical tourism studies, uh, back in the early mid 2000s, a group of scholars uh, met in Yugoslavia for the first critical tourism studies conference. And these were scholars from all sorts of fields, from geography, from anthropology, from sociology, from economics, from tourism management and, and business programs. And they all shared uh, an interest that has come to define critical tourism studies as different and distinct from positivistic studies of tourism. They're interested in highlighting tourism's entanglements with neoliberal development. Um, they're interested in looking at sociopolitical inequalities as, as they emerge in touristic contexts. They're interested in um, how our classic tourism concepts privilege some voices over others. And earlier we talked about how the default 
uh, focus was on the kind of Western tourist, right? Uh, and in fact, as many of us found through doing ethnography, right, tourism ethnography, and I, in the 80s, when I first started doing my research, I, re I realized, you know, all of this literature is about the Western tourists, but in fact, um, most of the people traveling are domestic tourists to visit these sites in Indonesia. They far outnumber the Western tourists, and yet everybody's writing about Western tourists in Indonesia. So, um, so, so ultimately, it's my hope that uh, scholars from other non-anthropology disciplines uh, can use the book to really hone their understandings of what's entailed in ethnographic research from an anthropological perspective uh, so that they can do richer studies uh, that will enable us to foster social justice, hopefully, to better understand um, perspectives of voices that are too seldom heard uh, in our research and to overall um, do the work they hope to do in under the auspices of critical tourism studies. I think I can hand it over to Ketsil. I like everything you said and uh, I think it was very well said and I don't think we can add much to that at all except to say that you know, the, what you've identified is that what's at stake is a bridging of, of sort of enclosed communities of scholars that are only reading in, within themselves and, uh, and maybe even truncated histories of how they, or reading truncated histories of even their own communities' understandings of what they're doing. Uh, and so I, I would ask the question, why, you know, uh, Naomi mentioned that uh, we had different visions of what the what the introduction was going to be. And I had a different vision, of course, and it didn't pan out. I had a couple of different visions of what we might include in the introduction, one of which was just way too ambitious. And we didn't really agree on how to do that, uh, which is why the 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 ethnography of knowledge the the sociology of knowledge of why are there certain kinds of fields of understanding so tourism in certain historical moments in certain geog geographic spaces and so i would ask why is that there why is there this meeting in yugoslavia about this critical studies we've been as anthropologists those are the kinds of issues that we we address normally that we've been addressing since decades uh, and when we start doing when we start doing tourism work, we bring those questions to the to the foreground. And so just to thicken, I guess, uh, Kathleen's call for hoping that, that these folks will read more anthropology, perhaps starting with this book. Great, and Naomi? Um, a couple things to say. Uh, the first thing um, is that I think this book really, um, ideally would have two potential audiences outside of anthropology. One is, as Kathleen and Ketzel were saying, people who study tourism um, and are very interested in doing ethnographic work, but don't necessarily quite um, understand both the history of long-term participant observation, which is the primary anthropological method that we, we could put under the heading of, of ethnographic research, which, um, Renato Rosaldo, another anthropologist, uh, has described as deep hanging out, where you're spending as much time as you can with a group of people to really start to understand 
why they're doing what they're doing and what meanings they're interpreting from their interactions from their perspective, not from yours coming in from the outside. And, and really a, a, a deeply ethnographic perspective is one that attempts to do that. And all too often people use the term to mean instead, I hung out and did some qualitative social science research. Uh, hung out for a short period of time, not deeply, and did qualitative social science research. Um, and, and that's not to cast aspersions on, on any uh, scholars who are describing themselves as ethnographers. I think that people working in critical tourism studies, um, and this is something that Mary Mestafanazad and um, Peg Swain address in their afterward beyond anthropology, they're doing work that is richer in other ways than what we're doing in anthropology. And part of their point is for many critical tourism studies scholars, their introduction to the anthropology of tourism is ironically through Brunner, who isn't citing anthropologists of tourism. Um, and, and so part of their point is that it really, it needs to go both ways, that anthropo anthropologists who are interested in tourism need to be attending to what's being done in other disciplines. And it would be lovely if people in other disciplines were looking at being what's being done in anthropology not just one or two scholars. And we have the same thing with historians and art historians and people in comparative literature with Clifford Gertz in the 1970s and 1980s, that he was the anthropologist they were all reading and weren't really aware of what was going on otherwise. So there's that. Um, but I think also, and, and this is something that hasn't been mentioned, but I would really like to see, is that anyone who is interested in doing research on any form of representation or meaningful social interaction can find tourism to be a, um, an analogous kind of interaction and system of representation. And so really there's a lot in this book, a lot of the concepts and, and sort of um, intellectual tools in this book could be applied, whether you're talking about interactions between development aid workers and local people, whether you're talking about advertising media, whether you're talking about art exhibits, there's all, you know, any, any kind of meaning-making encounter, which for the symbolic interactionist is anytime one or more human beings get to, or two or more human beings get together and interact. Um, this, the, the framework, and so that many of the concepts in this book are directly relevant. So I think that this is for, for really I think that this book would be useful to, to scholars in and out of anthropology in any, sub, in any discipline who are interested in tourism and potentially interested in understanding an interpretive humanistic experience near kind of perspective on human interaction. Great. Did you have something to add, Kathleen? I did, actually. One last thing. And I think people who travel, people who are tourists, will probably, I hope, be interested in this book just to get a more, uh, get more self-perspective, right, on what they're doing, to understand at a whole entirely different level uh, some of what it means to, to travel and make meaning as one goes, to uh, be more reflective about when it's encounters with others, and some of these concepts like the touristic border zone, you know, I think are, are very relevant to anyone who travels. So I would hope that uh, there would be even a broader readership beyond the scholarly world in which we live most of the time, you know, as academics. So. Great, thank you. And that's kind of one of the goals of this, you know, podcast, New Books Network, is to help make texts like this accessible for people, you know, helping anyone that listens to it 
you know, become engaged with these discussions, you know, in academic circles. So hopefully this will help with that in that way. Uh, Naomi, did you have something to add? I did. Um, I wanted to say that, you know, I'm, I am cognizant that this is a celebration studies podcast series and that I, I, I was intrigued by um, the invitation to talk about this book in celebration studies. And, and the more that we talk, the more I think it's important to emphasize that you could substitute any number of terms for tourism in this book and many of the chapters would still be relevant. So I think, you know, in terms of, as I said before, when we're talking about human interaction, we're talking about meaning making, we're talking about um, uh, imagination, we're talking about um, about uh, place and how we make sense of place. We're talking about people's dreams for the future. And all of these different things are all being woven in and out of tourist sites or tourism interactions um, in this book in the ways that people are building on this approach that, that Ed Brunner's work represents. So I think really, um, there, I wanted to highlight that. And then also, I forgot to mention at the very beginning, in, in the process of editing this book, one thing that was very important to me, in particular, I, don't, I, I can't speak for my co-editors, but it was very important to me that this book be accessible to undergraduates. That I wanted this to be a book that was easy to read, whether you were an anthropologist or not, whether you were, you know, uh, Whatever, whatever your background, um, it should be accessible. And so the idea was that somebody who has done, say, their first two years of college should find this an accessible book. That was the goal. And there are a few chapters that are denser than others, but really the goal, that was the goal. And so I think if I agree completely with Kathleen's comment about um, future tourists, you know, um, and and people reflecting on their tourist tourist past. Now that we are all immobilized by COVID nineteen, um, that this is this is a book that I think. Well, actually, I can say that my mother read it and found it very interesting, and she is not an anthropologist, so <laughs> um, it. And I don't think she was just saying that. Um, it does it, the 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 observations and insights that our contributors offer in their analyses of different tourism destinations and interactions, I think really would lead people, as Kathleen said, to think about their experiences in new ways and might lead to richer future experiences traveling. Yeah, I love that. I think that's, or I think that spirit definitely comes through in the way everything's written and, you know, the introduction lays everything out very clearly. So I think the way everything's structured and flows definitely lends itself really well to that um, accessibility. But thank you all so much for uh, joining us today. As we wrap up, um, let me ask this. What other projects are all of you working on? We can go Naomi, Katsil, and Kathleen. It will be very brief. Uh, it has nothing to do with tourism. Um, well, I actually, that's not true. I'll never get completely away from tourism. I'm, I'm doing a project on um, inclusive, self-consciously inclusive institutions and the ways that um, efforts are made by those kinds of institutions, whether we're talking about um, uh, workplaces or um, youth programs or indeed things like retreat centers. What efforts are made to make people feel included and to what extent are they successful? And I'm interested in this in part because um, inclusivity has become the new buzzword. It was diversity. Now it's inclusivity. And we're hearing about equality, diversity and inclusivity and in workplaces as an initiative that everyone should undertake and also uh, in the schools and in tourist venues. And so I'm interested in thinking through this idea of inclusion and seeing what are the different models or logics that people are carrying around 
in, a, in, in making sense of whether they feel included or not. And, and the people who are tasked with creating those inclusive spaces and, and to what extent do those mesh or do they differ? And, and what does it mean for people's actual experiences of belonging or exclusion in various social venues? My current work, uh, currently I'm doing two different kinds of things, or three maybe. Um, one is unrelated to tourism as well. It's uh, I'm writing a, the first English language, uh, well, I'm perhaps not writing the first, but I'm intending to write and then publish the first Maya language pedagogical book, uh, textbook for Maya. Uh, and that's a project uh, that I've been working on for a while. Another project that uh, has, uh, one of the things that I've been working on for a long time is questions of art, Maya art. And so I think I'll be picking this one up again. Uh, let's see, there we go, that one uh, um, soon. But uh, before I do attend to that, I'm going to be, I'm working on uh, New Age spiritualisms, spiritualities, and its relationship to different kinds of, uh, well, specifically to Chichen, my motivation is from the, the way that uh, New Age spiritualities approach Chichen Itza. But I've been teaching also about uh, ayahuasca tourism, uh, shamanism in, in Latin America and other places. And so my interest is, uh, is to develop understandings of how and why is it that certain kinds of new age spiritualities are being uh, created. How, first of all, how to differentiate them, right? Different kinds of spiritualists. Why, how would we, there's a huge proliferation of a variety. So we need to make sense of them, uh, differentiate and then ask questions about why is it that certain kinds of people are going with certain kinds of agendas, with certain kinds of cultural constructions, going to take ayahuasca versus peyote versus doing a Maya, a hit on Maya uh, intergalactic-ness, uh, uh, et cetera. So that's that's a project that I've been uh, developing. In part, it was, you know, I was I picked this up in 2012, but then I set it aside and then in my class on uh, altered states, uh, some students told me that uh, they thought that the world was gonna end on December 21st, 2020. I didn't know about that, but apparently nearby, there's uh, some evangelical pastor here in, uh, in a town nearby me in Bloomington, Indiana, that actually had been promoting this idea. And then it turns out that he also was his birthday, December 21st, and that's maybe why he was open for the end of the world. That day, but that's one of my projects these days. So tourism, that's not tourism, kinds of plus intersections with spiritualities. And currently, I'm working on three projects. I'll be brief. Uh, the first project, which emerges actually from the chapter that we talked about that I wrote in the book about uh, Taraja return migrant tourists. Um, I'm working on a co-edited volume with a Polish colleague, Natalia Block on the intersections of tourism, migration, and exile, uh, which has taken on new layers of meaning in the current era of relative immobility with COVID-19. Um, but we're really interested in looking at workers, at migrants, uh, their experiences in touristic settings, and so on. Um, and we're, we're pretty far along in that book. We have all of the chapters. We're expecting to submit it to the press, with which we have a contract uh, sometime late summer. And then the second project uh, that I'm working on, an edited volume, uh, which is about 
halfway there, but needs more time because of COVID-19. Um, we're working, I'm working on a edited volume on uh, museums and the kind of recrafting of nationalism, regionalism, and issues of heritage and identity in Southeast Asia. And then the final project, which is really the project that is incredibly close to my heart, uh, is an ongoing project uh, that has some tourism threads. I'm interested in and working on and researching um, how to go about repatriating stolen effigies of the dead, uh, stolen mortuary materials from Indonesia. And this is something that um, in the 1980s was really happening um, a lot. And tourism was of course part of it. It wasn't the only ingredient in this happening. And there's been, this has caused a great deal of pain to many Tarajans to be disenfranchised from representations of and, and embodiments of, of their ancestors. And so many museum curators and collectors have contacted me because I've written about these issues um, and asked, what do we do with our effigies? And so I'm working with people in uh, the homeland community, trying to figure out and navigate the ethics, the logistics of returning these effigies. And as they tell me, this is the project of everything, of my many years of, of affiliation with the, with the communities there. This is the one that means the most to them. And so I feel it's the most important one. Very cool. I'll look forward to hearing more about that and reading about that along with y'all's other projects as well all sounds really interesting and kind of interesting to hear how it's both built and differentiated from your work in tourism too. you know kind of seeing the different directions all of you are going um, but thank you naomi late katsil castaneda and kathleen adams for joining us on new books and celebration studies thank you for hosting thank us it's really for, a pleasure yeah thanks for the invitation it's been great to to have this opportunity to talk with you and talk about the book. Uh, thank you, I've really enjoyed it. And it's always great to get to be back with my co-editors talking and nice to meet you as well, Emily. Yeah. You wanna start that again? Let me turn this off and you can say good. <laughs> this is why we have editing. <laughs> I'm not going to remember what I said. No, it's fine. We can just... Uh, Take it for the top. Anything. Yeah, we'll just redo it. It's no big deal. Uh, Naomi Late, Katsil Castaneda, and Kathleen Adams, thank you for joining us on New Books and Celebration Studies. Thank you for hosting us. It's really been a pleasure to get to talk with you. It's really been a, a nice opportunity to, to talk about the book and to meet you, and uh, we hope that everybody... Uh, have enjoyed this as much as we did. Thanks. Thank you so much, Emily. It's I'm always happy to be able to get back together with my co-editors and talk, and it's been a lot of fun talking with you about the book as well. Yeah, I really enjoyed the conversation and learned a lot, both from the book and you your remarks today as well. Um, really informative. And listeners, we have to thank you as well. Um, as a reminder, this is the end of an interview with Naomi Late, Katsil Castaneda, and Kathleen Adams, editors of the book, The Ethnography of Tourism, Edward Berner and Beyond, published by Lexington Books in 2019. This is Emily Allen, and please join me again here on New Books and Celebration Studies, a special series from the New Books Network. <laughs>